Last year, there was an article that was titled The Jaw-Dropping Benefits of Church Attendance. And within it, it discussed five different benefits that you have from being here today. Like uh, number one benefit was that those that attend church often are less likely to be diagnosed as clinically depressed. Now, the statistics are 22% less likely to be diagnosed as clinically depressed. The reason why within the article and the medical journals suggests that number one, when you come to church, you have people that actually love you and care for you and are praying for you. And nearly every doctor has admitted that something happens miraculously when people show up and pray for a patient that is in the hospital. Number two is most church services focus on the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And so people walk out of here excited rather than depressed. The second benefit of being here today is that you have better time and life management skills than those who don't come to church. Now, statistically, those who have done the research had found out that if you come to church, you're more likely to hit your life goals that you've set in place than those who don't. Did you know that if you come to church, you're less likely to do deviant behavior? Did you know that if you come to church, that you're more than likely to achieve the dreams that you've put down on paper or have imagined in your head? Did you know that if you come to church, you're less likely to stop self-destructive behavior? All this from just being here today. There's another benefit that comes along with being here today, and that's higher grades and a higher education prospect, which means you would go for furthering your education. It was found out in studies in 2001 after a year of studying that those who attend church services regularly have higher math and reading skills than those who do not. That's pretty impressive stuff. And if you're wanting your child to come to church and you want them to do your homework, you just tell them, come on to church because you'll get your homework done because those who come to church more often who are students get their homework done more regularly. These are the facts, people. This is incredible stuff. How about number four? Longer life expectancy if you were to come to church. Now, we know the mortality rate of a Christian is 100%. We're all going to die. But how long are you going to have here on life on earth is the question. And here's what the studies had found out. That if you attend a worship service at least once a week, you are more than likely to live longer than those who don't. But here's the other thing. If you come to church more than once a week. You're going to live longer than that guy who came to church just once a week. So if you want to live a long time, it's best to be in here just about every single day. Here's my favorite, the fifth benefit from your being here today. And this is for married couples. Spouses who attend church together have a better sex life. Yeah. So if you're trying to get your spouse to come to church, don't keep beating them head over the, Bi- over the Bible. You just say, honey, why don't you come to church with me? Because... You know, our sex life will improve when you do. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was something that was in the statistics. I hope that you see that our time of worship here together is, is more beneficial than just the things that I had listed off. That there are some spiritual benefits to our being here that outweigh any of those that I had just mentioned to you. You know, we've been in this study and we're going to finish up in a couple weeks and study in the New Testament book of Hebrews. And if you turn with me to that book, it's a sermon that had been written to a group of Christians that had just became followers of Jesus. They're brand new to the faith. They have come from a Jewish background. They were raised as Jews. But now there is some real struggles for being a Christian because Rome and Jews have placed a heavy persecution on the early church. 
And now it's really not for the faint of heart to be a Christian. You've got to really want it. And there's this group of new converts that are saying, you know, it was a lot easier to be a Jew than it is to be a Christian. And so the sermon that we're reading in the book of Hebrews, a written down sermon, is to say, stick with it. Jesus is better than any passionate pursuit that you could ever find in this life. So stay with Jesus Christ, even though there might be some persecution. Stay with Jesus Christ, even in these tumultuous times. Stick with Jesus and stay in the church. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, we find this bit of encouragement that I just want to repeat and uh, pronounce on to you all today. Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at verse 23 together. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And their sex life is bad, by the way. (laughs) But encouraging one another, And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is the day of Jesus Christ returning from the heavens and bringing his church together and bringing them into the heavens. Now, one of our goals here at this church is to develop develop this church to radically follow after God and to have deep, meaningful commitments to each other, deep, meaningful relationships with each other. And the purpose of this message this morning is to encourage you to step outside maybe your comfort zone and to get into a deeper fellowship here at Bethany because it will enhance and strengthen your life. You know, there is common ground that we share in this room together. We have a lot more in common probably than we have uncommon together. You know, the biggest commonality that we share in this room is that we have a common commitment to Christ Jesus. That's a pretty important commitment, isn't it? To have a common commitment to Jesus Christ and many in this room share that same commitment. You know, when a stranger finds a common ground with somebody else, the conversation turns from being superficial to beneficial. Let me illustrate. When we had our twins, we would put them in the stroller and we would push them around the grocery store or the shopping mall or we'd take them to the park and inevitably someone would come to us and say, oh, look, it's twins. They're twins, right? And we'd say, yeah, that's twins. And then they would have a story for us. You know, I'm a twin, or my husband's a twin, or, you know, we have twins too, and isn't it kind of special, these twins? And I thought, well, it's not that special, really, is it? Really? Special? Just two kids came out at one time. (laughs) But all of a sudden, it put us in this new classification that we were something special, and when people would see us, there was an immediate, there was an immediate bond with others that had twins, and then they would begin to tell us, you know, in Twinsburg, Ohio, they have a special celebration, three-day celebration. All the twins around the United States get together. You really need to come to that. And now I have people inviting me, inviting me. I'm not friends with them, but they're inviting me to spend three days with them in Twinsburg, Ohio, (laughs) because we have this common thing that, well, we were able to split the egg. That's what we were able to do. Maybe you work for a company and you don't share the last name of your coworkers, but you share a commonality, a common purpose within the work, and that work draws you together. And, and while they are not family, it certainly feels like family when you enter the door. You know, some of the closest friends that I ever had in life were friends that I met on the ball field, friends that came from sporting teams. It brought us together. We felt like family. Some of you might have felt the same as you pledged for a fraternity or sorority or when you enlisted into military service. You didn't think you could have friends so close, but now you became a band of brothers. And see, Christianity is much different. We weren't born into this. We didn't enlist into this. We didn't pledge for this. We didn't make the team. 
we all decided under our own accord to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. It was a willful commitment on our own part. We share the commonality, you see, of Jesus Christ. We have a lot of things in common in this room. But the potential for the most meaningful relationships are in the church. You can have relationships outside the church that are plentiful, but the potential for the most meaningful relationships exists right here in this room because we have this commonality. Let me tell you about 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. It says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. You see what's going on? We have fellowship with each other and we have fellowship with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Verse 6, John continues, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, God, and yet walk in darkness, we continue to walk in sin, we lie and we do not live out the truth. Here's the Greek word for fellowship. The Greek word is called koinonia. Koinonia. It's translated in the New Testament as partnership or sharing. Sometimes it's translated as fellowship or communion. But fellowship is a relationship between individuals that share, now catch this, a common interest. That's what fellowship is. We share in a common interest. That's Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. There is a residual interest in each other when we share a common interest. Because we come around the center of the bullseye, Jesus, we have these residual rings that pop out and say, well, tell me about your life too. I'm interested in you. I I, I just want to know about your family. I want to know about your background. Why? Because we have this common interest in Jesus Christ. And you see the fellowship in the church hinges on our commitment to Christ. And when some brother or sister falls away from here, it breaks fellowship, doesn't it? And that's why Christians are asked to go back to those that are now walking in darkness who don't want to come back to the light and gently, kindly try to restore them and bring them back into the light graciously. You know, the fellowship in this church is based on walking in the light. Therefore, we have a common belief, we have a common lifestyle, we have a common priorities, we have a common destiny, we have a, 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 a common desire to follow after Jesus, and when we're walking in the light, we can have this great thing called fellowship because we share a common bond. And let me tell you something about the fellowship that exists in the church. The greatest times I've ever had with others in this earth, on this earth, have happened with people that are other Christians that I've been in church with. Let me tell you about the greatest time of fellowship I've ever had. It was when I took a trip over to India. Uh, I was there with missionary T.B. Paul. He's there on the very right. And there, there's the crew right there, the wrecking crew, uh, about 15 preachers of whom our church helps to support those 15 churches. You're looking at men who are preaching in the pulpit. They preached 10 hours and 30 minutes ago. They're, they're ahead of us. And they just preached. And uh, we help to support their churches and their buildings and their salaries, which is a few cups of rice each week. And these men gathered together in a dimly lit home, and we, we had rice, and we had curry, and we had goat neck or something, we had some kind of mysterious meat. We still can't figure out to this day what that was. TB won't let us in on it. I don't know what he was feeding us. We had tea, and, and I splurged, and I bought 35 thumbs-up colas for everybody. That's three American dollars. I mean, I really splurged that day. And we had this feast together. And it was just these preachers that met together. And we couldn't speak the same language. There had to be a translator there. But there was this, there was this feeling of unity within the room that I can't explain away to you because there was this commonality of Jesus Christ. And even though the language barrier was there, let me tell you the barrier that wasn't there. The faith barrier wasn't there. We connected immediately. And that was one of the strongest, most meaningful things of fellowship I've ever had. In that 
dimly lit mud hut with those 15 preachers eating curry and rice. The connection that we have in Christ is unspeakable. The Bible says, let us consider how we can spur another, one another on towards love and good deeds. That's what we need to be doing. You get away from this place and you can't be spurred on anymore. So don't give up meeting together, the text says, as some of you are in the habit of doing. Some of you are in the habit of just willfully and just wanderingly coming in and out and just whatever you feel like in the morning. I don't want to make it a priority of my day. And he says, no, 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 you make it a priority of your day to come in on a Sunday morning to worship together. Don't forget meeting together. Make it a habit, he says, and encourage one another to do that. You know, we share that common commitment to Christ, but I need to let you know that not everybody in here is going to be your best friend. There's going to be different degrees of friendship within the church, and that's understandable. Jesus Christ had thousands of people who he interacted with, and he had 12 guys that he cut from the herd, and he taught, and he invested into their lives. Now, out of those 12, he had three whom were his closest companions, his best friends, Peter, James, and John. Now, if Jesus saw the need for fellowship, how much more do you think we have a need for fellowship in the church? Friends, it's not a luxury. Fellowship is a necessity. You know, I used to be led to believe that fellowship was just something that I could willfully or do if I wanted to do, but I didn't understand that it was a spiritual discipline that I was being encouraged to do. Have you saw it that way? That this is a spiritual discipline? We've got to encourage ourselves and discipline ourselves to extend past our comfort zone and reach out to others who are other Christians? It's, it's helpful, but it's also commanded. Look at the book of Acts, chapter 2. It's on the screen with us, chapter 2, verse 42. It summarizes the life of the early church by saying that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? To, to fellowship, to partnering with each other, to finding this common ground in Christ, to the breaking of bread, which we'd call communion, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They were together. They had fellowship, common, common bond in Christ, and had everything in common. That's fellowship. One common life together, Christ. I grew up thinking that fellowship was something that took place after a Sunday night service in what we called the fellowship hall. Drinking fruit punch and talking about the weather. And some of you probably have that same aspect. Well, I've got to go mingle with people that I don't want to mingle with. I've, I've got to be forced into community. And that's not how fellowship is to be at all. Fellowship is a spiritual discipline. And if we have a common bond of Jesus Christ, there should be residual interest that we should have with others because our common bond with each other should spill out because it creates a rapport with other Christians. And we should be quick to say, hey, I know the center of your life. And since I know the center of your life, who is Christ, tell me more about who you are. You know, the Bible, Bible tells us that there's a lot of power when his people come together. The Bible tells us over and over again in the New Testament the things that we should be doing together. Like, we're told to pray for one another. If you don't have somebody praying for you in this church or another Christian, you're missing out on that great fellowship. How about encouraging one another, rebuke one another, build one another up, confess our faults to each other, love one another, be devoted to each other, greet one another with a holy kiss. If any of you guys try that right after service, you're going to get decked. <laughs> try that on Tom Watson, but not me instruct one another serve see i just did instructed you serve one another forgive each other spur each other on with love and good deeds offer one another hospitality you know christians are satisfied 
when they love other people. People are satisfied when they love other people. We have a desire within us to love other people. That's why. We're not called to be hermits. We have a desire to be loved by people. And the church is this rare place on earth. Well, we'll just accept anybody. Strays, come on in. We don't care about your background. We don't care about your social status. We don't care about your education. We don't care about the color of your skin. You just come on in, and we're going to latch onto you here. Especially if you are a believer in Christ, we have this common thing, and we're going to love you. Let me tell you about the love that's shown within the fellowship of the church. It is the greatest witness and act of love you'll ever find. This last spring, we had... um, a couple in our church whose wife had died suddenly. And they're a part of our small group ministries. And that, that, that grieving widower was there, but that small group wanted to do something for him. And they just poured their love out for him over and over again. And once that funeral had taken place and most people had moved on and walked away from that grave, that small group has not shut off, has not shut off the fountain of their love towards him. And if you don't have a group that's smaller than this group, you're not going to get that. You're not going to have hundreds of people waiting in line to say, we love you, when a loved one passes. I don't say that to scare you. I say that so that you'll you'll understand that there is so much love that can be had when you get away from this group, go to a smaller group, because we have a need to be loved and to love. Hey, we also have a need within us to be spurred on in the faith. You know, this world can be awfully discouraging, can it, at times? And sometimes you might get the impression, am I the only one that believes in God's word here? Am I the only one that wants to follow this in raising my kids? And am I the only one that wants to follow this when it comes to my marriage and in my relationships and in, in being ethical with the government? Am I the only one who wants to follow this book? Now, I get so many different emails throughout the week about men and women and parents and and people just trying to figure out life and they feel that their back's up against the wall because it seems like nobody, according to their view, is living out God's guiding principles for their life. One Christian woman was so discouraged this past week, she wrote to me and she said, you know, some of my close friends are getting a divorce and I just found this out. She said, life seems so good for them, but they stopped attending church and, and they don't seem to care anymore about what God's plan is for their marriage. And then she says at the end, it seems that nobody cares about the covenant of marriage anymore. You know what that dear sister needs? She needs somebody to get around her. She needs people to get around her, to spur her on and to encourage her to say, we care about God's word. God's word is our guiding principle for life. And while we might be becoming the minority, we still trust in what God's word says to us. And we are going to navigate our life based on this compass rather than the compass that society wants us to base our life on. See, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tells us two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone, whoa, you're in real trouble. Then it goes on to say a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but... Two can stand back to back and conquer, and then get what he says. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, is saying, you better get together with some people that you have a common interest in and stick by each other's side. 
Don't give up meeting together because it spurs one another on in the faith. Also, our fellowship with one another holds us accountable. Now, I know not everybody likes that. I have countless stories of people that were once on fire in the Lord. They had come to this place nearly every time the doors were open, and then they did something in the darkness. They had sinned, and someone held them to account. And because they didn't like that, they walked away from the church, and now that fire that they once had is doused. I understand that when someone holds us to account, it hurts and wounds our pride. And there is two responses. We fight back and we try to make some ripples and turn it into somebody else's problem. Or we just walk away. We fly away. You know, I have a fragile ego. And every now and then I have our leaders come to me and they'll say, Matt, you know, the way you handled that situation, that wasn't very Christ-like. That wasn't very gracious and it was very aggressive. And they'll have to set me straight and correct me. And you know what I found out? That when a doctor does surgery, it's never painless on the patient, but it's helpful. And when we're corrected in the faith, there's going to be pain involved. But don't let your pride get in the way because it's helpful. Proverbs chapter 27 tells it like this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And those that hold me accountable, I trust because we have a common connection of Christ. Then it goes on to say, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You need to get around some others that can sharpen you in the faith and keep you strong. We need accountability, and we need fellowship. And both of those things can be found right here in this church. When we stay connected to fellowship of the other Christians, it also strengthens our testimony. You know, this world is cynical of the church, and it's growing more and more cynical uh, year after year. They're cynical about the things that we do and our acts of kindness. They're cynical when we get into the public schools and we just try to mentor some kids they're cynical about our motivations they want to know why we're doing what we're doing Uh, years ago this church had started what was called the block party on main street and the first year that we did it we had just a a thousand or so people and we offered some fun things together and the next year we did we offered antioch christian church and new hope christian churches to be a part of that and more than five thousand people from washington showed up one-third of our community showed up on main street car show bands entertainment food all this kind of stuff was going on and those that were not from a fellowship of christians they wondered what our motive was what was our angle what was our game we weren't putting out our name we wouldn't put out our service times they wanted to know why would we do such a thing and we would get calls why did you do this And they didn't know how to respond when we'd say, because we wanted to show the community of Washington just a little bit of love. We wanted them to have at least one night where they could go out in a safe place and be together in a community. They weren't buying that. That someone would just want to do something for a stranger because Christ has touched their heart and motivated them to love their stranger, to love their neighbor. When you join hands and fellowship together, we can do so much more, and it strengthens our testimony. So let us consider how we may spur one another on in good deeds towards love. You know, there are three indicators that exist within your life about your commitment to Christ. It has to do with how you see your commitment to the church, His church, the bride. Let me give you three indicators. They'll help you set a barometer about where you're at in your relationship with Christ. Your involvement in the church, does it go beyond a Sunday morning? Does it go beyond one hour of worship? Your offerings to the church, that's between you and God. And the third thing is, uh, 
your attendance on Sunday mornings? How consistent are they? You see, are you a part of a smaller group than this big group, your involvement? Are you giving regularly your offerings to the Lord, saying, Lord, I know you don't need it, but I just, I don't know what to do for you. You've done so much for me. And are you, are you coming here regularly and saying, I can't wait till Sunday morning comes so I can have fellowship with the saints and so I can hear a message and be encouraged? Now, here's the thing. At one point in this church, we were small enough where everybody could probably know everybody's name. Those days are long gone. And I really don't wish them back. Because while there might be, might be harder to get to know one another, there are nearly unlimited ways to get involved so that you can get to know others. As this church becomes bigger, we've got to remember to think smaller. And there are so many ways that you can get connected in this church and meet with other Christians that love the Lord like you do or who are seeking Him out like you are. For those of you that would like to deepen your relationships with people in this church, let me give you a few ideas. Number one, you can move right out of this room today and you can go to a Bible fellowship class that meets at 1045 in this room just right behind this, this sanctuary here. Don Smoot is a very capable, wonderful teacher. And here's what our Bible fellowship classes offer. They're offered at both services, 9 o'clock, Luke Bean's teaching one right now in room 100. But you pick, a, you pick a, a class, you go to class, and then you go to a service. That's the way it works. And in that, there'll be 20, 30, 40 people there. You'll get to know their names. And the title of these things, give them away. What are you going to do in these classes? Well, you're going to study the Bible a little bit. You're going to have a give and take of what's being found in the text. The teacher's going to teach. You can say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got a question. Tom said, this isn't the place for question and answers. He's right. You try to put your hand up in here, I'm going to say, I didn't, even, I didn't acknowledge it. I'm not going to acknowledge it. In the classroom is the time to acknowledge it. And say, wait a minute, I didn't know what he was saying. Wait a minute, Don, what are you saying? Or just impart your knowledge to some other people. And then you're saying, what else do we do in those classes? Well, not only do they just study the Bible, that gets boring, actually. They also fellowship with each other. And they get to know one another. And they have a cup of coffee and sit around the table. And they talk more just about the weather. They talk about life and they want to do life together with you. And those happen every single Sunday morning. If you're looking for a way to get deeper into those things, you pick one, 9 or 1045, and then you go to one of the services also. Here's another way. Deepen your relationships by participating in small groups. Our small group ministry is it's getting pretty big, and it's, a, it's evolving into something really, really good under, under the, the, the eyesight of Evan and his leadership. Our small groups are intentional gatherings that meet at people's homes throughout the week, and they even meet here sometimes at the building itself. In a small group, you're going to find support. You're going to find people who love you. You're going to find meaningful relationships. You're going to find people that you're going to care about probably for the rest of your life. They're informal, but they are so valuable. And friends, here's the great thing about this. They're starting back up next week. And next week, you're going to see people in green t-shirts sitting right out here in the commons area, and they're just going to be moping around, and they're going to be like jaws looking for anybody to devour that hasn't been in a small group but needs a small group. All you're going to hear next week is, dun-dun, dun-dun, because they're going to be on the prowl looking for some people. You know why they're on the prowl? Because they understand how meaningful small groups are, and they don't want anybody to miss this kind of stuff. And so here's what I'm telling you to do. Instead of just 
pushing it off the table and saying, I don't have the time, I don't have the, I don't have, uh, don't have the commitment to that. You just say, honey, let's take six weeks, the next six weeks, we'll either go to a Bible fellowship class or we'll go to a small group, but for six weeks, we're going to play this thing out. And if you don't like it after six weeks, you do what you want to do. And that would lead into my second thing. Get involved in some kind of act of service. Get involved in the things that this church promotes. That's Christ. And that's the friendliness of welcoming people in and, and taking care of maybe some children in our children's ministry. There's hundreds of them that will be here on a Sunday morning. There's plenty of help that's needed. How about our first impressions ministry? So many of you have said, this place is such a welcoming place. Well, why don't you be a part of those that welcome and open doors and say hello and usher people to their seats? Be a part of that ministry. Who knows? You, somebody you meet might actually like you. That, that might happen. But you'll never know until you step out and you actually become a part of the fellowship here. So find some ways that you can grow. Friends, I see it as my duty to lead a church that is not an inch deep and a mile wide. But that we are as deep as we are wide. And a part of that is having a great commitment to Christ and a great commitment to each other in what is called fellowship. One of my favorite preachers is just passed away a few months ago, and his name is Dr. Fred Craddock. He tells of a time when he was to speak in Winnipeg, Canada, but he was awakened on a Sunday morning to a couple of feet of snow. He got a call from the church where he was speaking at that said, Fred, we can't, can't even make it to your hotel here. This is quite a surprise, two feet of snow. Uh, we're going to have to call off Sunday services in the lecture that you were, you were to give. Well, he said, well, what, do you, what would you like for me to do? He said, well, I think there's a deli just about a block and a half to the right of the entrance of the hotel that you can go to, and it might be open. You could probably find some food there. Craddock said when he walked into the deli, the place was packed. It was like the only place open in Winnipeg during the snowstorm. He said everybody was going in there huddled up to keep warm because it was so cold outside. And as he walked in there, he had to find a place to sit, and two guys just kind of spread the way and parted, and he sat right down and Everybody was just shoulder to shoulder, and he ordered a hot bowl of soup. It says he waited for the soup. The door had opened. The bell had chimed on the door, and someone had yelled, Shut that door! It's freezing outside! Quickly, the door had slammed. Everybody noticed who had walked in, an unkept woman that looked like she was freezing to death. She came in, and she found a place to sit. People slid aside. She had sat down. A man with a greasy apron came, and he said, What do you want? She said, I'd like a glass of water, please. He sat down the water, and he said, Now what do you want? She said, Just this water. He said, There are paying customers here. If you don't want to buy something, then you need to leave. She said, Well, can I just warm up in here for a little bit? He said, No. You either pay for your food, buy some food, or you leave. And so slowly, she kind of eased out of her seat, made her way to the door, and as she did, a man on her left and a man on her right both got up with her. And then the men on their right and the men on their left got up together, and before you knew it, that little deli that was crammed full of people, everyone had stood up and people were leaving. And the cook came back and he said, no, 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 you sit back down, you sit back down. Everybody come on back, I'll serve her, I'll serve her. Just water's fine. And everybody came back, everybody came back to the deli counter and everybody went back to their eating and that woman sat there with her water and Craddock 
looked at the man next to him and asked the question, Who is that lady? The man next to her said, Never met her before in my life. But if she ain't welcome here, ain't nobody welcome here. Fred Craddock said, You know, as I started to eat that bowl of soup, it wasn't so bad. As a matter of fact, that mean old guy in a greasy apron even brought her some soup as well. And it tasted pretty good. But it reminded me of something I'd eaten before, and I couldn't figure out why it tasted so familiar as I ate that soup with her that day. And I love the way that he poetically ends his story. As I left that little deli, I looked back at the woman sitting there in the atmosphere, and I remembered what that soup tasted like. It tasted like the bread and wine of communion. May this place be a place where we offer more than a cup of coffee and a handshake. May this place become a place where there is communion with Christ and communion with each other.